Welcome to the Green Renine Publishing Podcast. Since the year 2000, Green Renine has been at the forefront of the hobby game industry. This podcast brings that world to life with news, interviews, and opinions direct from the Emerald City. Join us as we talk about role-playing games, card games, conventions, game design, and all things Green Ronin. Hello and welcome to the Green Ronin Podcast. This is Chris Premis, and I'm coming to you live from Gen Con, or what was Gen Con, because it's Sunday night and almost everyone has gone home. But uh, we are here... Uh, doing a little bit of podcasting action in the Marriott Hotel across the street from the convention center and uh, taking advantage of uh, some of the people who are about uh, to get some guest shots for the show. So uh, with me here for starters is Russell Morrissey, uh, who uh, of course runs EN World and also uh, EN Publishing. Say hello to the folks. Hello, folks. Uh, so we thought it'd be fun to uh, ask Russ a few questions about his Gen Con experience, because uh, I believe this is the first time you've been over in a few years, right? Three or four years, yeah. So did you have a good time? It's the best con ever. Ah. The thing about Gen Con is each year you get to know a few more people, so every year gets better. Yeah, I, uh, I realized towards the end of the day that there were people that I wanted to see that I hadn't even seen yet. And uh, then I would see their heads and be like, oh, it's that person. <laughs> I see their head. And uh, there's just too many folks, really. Cause, uh, yeah, I always feel terribly guilty. <laughs> you sort of spin by people's booths and you say hello. And you feel like you're being rude because you have to move on and say hello to someone else. Yes. Or while you're talking to them, three other people come up. Yeah, exactly. They want to do their rounds of hellos. And, yeah. Uh, so, uh, were you here on business mostly, or were you having fun? Or? Mainly, Wizards paid for me to come over. Oh, really? Uh, I was originally invited to the media dinner that announced 4E. Ah. Unfortunately, I was stuck in the queue at Dallas Airport ah. for the entire period, <laughs> so I missed the dinner. I also missed a Gary Gygax game. Oh, that's too bad. Due to border protection at Dallas Airport. <laughs> so, I, so I rolled in about 3 o'clock Thursday morning. I had a similar experience where uh, I was taking a red-eye from Seattle, and I was supposed to be here in time for the opening of the exhibit hall, and I really like being there when the exhibit hall opens, because you've got all your new books out, and people rush through the doors, and, you know, the diehard fans of your stuff make a beeline for your booth, because yeah. they want to get the new thing, and I, j I just love to feel that rush, because, you know, when you're in your office the rest of the year when a book hits the retail store, well, you know, you're not there. And, exactly. Uh, and I missed it because uh, my uh, first flight was delayed and I missed my second flight and spent three hours in Detroit. So that was fantastic. Oh, the lesson learned there is drive everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so what did you make of uh, Wizards' fourth edition announcement? Uh, interesting. I wasn't so sure about the whole um, digital marriage thing, mm -hmm. but I'm coming around to it. I'm excited about 4th edition from the news point of view. It gives yeah. me something really juicy to start talking about. Cause for the last three years, I've been talking about, you know, PDF Company X has released PDF number 45 That's right. in their series. And it gets a bit old after a while. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, there's days that go by that even I don't read my own news page. <laughs> now, now, now we've got some really juicy, interesting stuff to put on there. So was the uh, website overwhelmed on the, the day of the announcement? I think we got slash dotted. Oh, really? Is what happened. Uh, it, it went down for about six hours. So uh, I'm sure the message boards exploded. I wasn't 
really able to do much uh, internet looking. While I haven't had on. much chance to look, but yeah. when I did look the other night, every single thread was 4E, 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 4E. It's going to be really interesting because the you know the sort of the attitude on all the different gaming fora of the last year or more is all sort of dread because people had the feeling. Like well, everyone knew coming. it was coming. Yeah. yeah, it's just no one knew when. I mean, what do you guys think about it? Uh, well, it's uh, I got finally got to hear something about what it would be like. My my biggest fear about it had been that after all the waiting and you know, all this and that that they would be very conservative about it and basically you know update. The 3.5 rules essentially into like a 3.75, yeah, which would have been like the most conservative thing they could have done, and that's what I thought would have been bad for the game. Um, but it seems like they really are now taking some chances with their design in fourth edition, they're doing some interesting things um, with Digital Initiative and the Gleemax site. Um, and I'm glad that the market leader is, is willing to take some chances to make the game better and to make the hobby better. So I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm -hmm. no, I would say I'm excited. Oh, all right. Already to excitement. Well, let's say I'll definitely buy them. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. I'm curious to see if um, how the whole digital initiative and Gleemax thing uh, actually work out as far as the social networking goes. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting move. Do you feel like you have anything to fear about uh, the digital initiative? Or No, I mean, yeah. what, competition-wise? Yeah, competition-wise. Not really. I don't think it's the same thing, is it? Not really, no. no. I mean, I've never wanted to start hosting MySpace gamer pages or right. or any of this sort of thing. And I guess what EN World really has um, already is a is a defined community. Yeah. Exactly. And the other thing is, Climax uh, and things like that will always be official, mm -hmm. whereas EN World will always be unofficial, which which gives it that niche. It gives it its own identity. Yeah, yeah. It's just really. I mean, I remember when uh, when the site first started, it was just sort of this random place to go get news and whatever. But so over back the when years, I didn't know it was. Yeah, yeah. that's right. You know, it really has cohered into this community, and every year at Gen Con, there's, you know, the EN Worlds that come around with the EN World badges, and I don't recognize people's names, but I know their handles, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, no, it's great. I mean, we have parties every night of 50, 60 people. I just came back from a dinner with, with must have been about 50 people, mm -hmm. every single night. It's like a sub-con within the con. Well, one thing I noticed this year that I thought was interesting was that... Uh, because the official registration stuff for Gen Con is a hassle for a lot of people, that uh, there was like a whole sub-forum on EN World of people uh, organizing their own games for We've Gen done Con. that for a few years, actually. I mean, the reason for that really is people want to play with their friends. Mm -hmm. um, if, um, you know, if Kevin Culp, if he puts up a game, everyone wants to play in that game. Yeah. So, you know, he puts it to the EN World people first. Yeah. You know, his friends get first shot. But yeah, no, there's an awful lot of events, and not just games, but social events organized mm -hmm. informally on the boards, things like that. At the Ennies booth, we have a, a book where people can write down pick-up games, so you can wander along to the Ennies booth, have a look at the book, see what games are going on, what mm -hmm. slots are available. So yeah, there is like a, a, a sub-gaming organization, unofficial and very informal yeah. structure going yeah. on at the same time. But it's a really nice uh, support mechanism for people coming to Gen Con. Um, first Gen Con I went to was in 1989 and uh, I was in college and I didn't know anyone and I just decided after all those years of seeing Gen Con advertised 
um, in the back of, uh, of books and, and box sets and things that to hell with it I was just going to go much like me my first year mm-hmm. and uh, you know I just had to make my own way and I had a really good time but you know I didn't know a soul and I didn't know really how Gen Con worked or, or anything and it was fun finding out but you know it, it'd be really great to have uh, that kind of a support network on your first Gen Con of people who had been around places to get games exactly, you know, yeah. that sort of thing and everyone's so friendly they really I've met, are I've, yeah I've very, very, very few unfriendly people at Gen Con. It's true. Uh, only very occasionally at this con was I buttonholed by somebody um, who just was going to be annoying or uh, <laughs> uh, what have you. Yes, uh, want to complain about something or other, but uh, of course that's human nature, so what yeah. are you going to do? Um, did Ian Publishing have a presence here? No. No, not at all. Uh, the deal with the Ennies booth is obviously we get the booth free. Mm-hmm. But what we can't do is sell out of it. Oh, right, okay. So it has to be strictly for the Ennies. And to be honest, we don't have time to run two booths. Yeah, well, that makes sense. We've got so much to do. Yeah. So uh, how did you feel the Ennies went off this year? Fantastic. Denise did a nice job. She does a fantastic job. I mean, I've missed the last three years, so you probably know better than I do Yeah. how good a job <laughs> she does. Last year. Yeah, I heard, I heard the room last year was small, hot, and uncomfortable. Yeah, as I recall, it was half the size it was supposed to be. Yeah, and uh, and it was really really hot. No, it's amazing the way the whole thing comes together. Everyone is a volunteer. Mm-hmm. No one's paid to do anything. Uh, the Ennies do do their own fundraising stuff. All that goes back into the Ennies to buy you know banners and screens and all the bits and pieces we need to actually run the event. Right, right. Yeah, so, we donated some stuff for the silent auction. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the least we could do, really. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone donating their time to put on an event that's become really iconic at Gen Con. Oh, the publisher's sport's always amazing as well. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I mean, apart from everything else, it's fun. You know, I mean, it's, it's a good night out yes. uh, on top of everything else. And, and there's a bar. <laughs> there is a it bar. Is a yes. Well, you know, I was just at a convention in uh, England uh, just last week, and one of the things that was very different about it was they did have a real ale bar um, as part of the show. And uh, every time I did a seminar, uh, I could go to the bar and get a pint of whatever <laughs> before the seminar started. And uh, that does not happen in America. Yeah, we do like to drink back in England. <laughs> <laughs> Some very, I think uh, I should have some kind of diploma in it or something. <laughs> <laughs> Binge drinking. Uh-huh. It's fun. It's good for you. Do it, kids. <laughs> this has been a public service announcement <laughs> from not Green Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, thanks for uh, stopping by to talk to us for no a bit. Problem. We've enjoyed having you. And uh, I believe now you have some drinking to do. Uh, actually, I'm going to bed because we've got a flight tomorrow morning. Oh, you big screw. I'm spending a week in Washington, D.C. Oh, really? Uh, staying with some friends, yeah. and then we're heading back to England in a week's time. Fantastic. Well, go to the Smithsonian. I plan it's to. It's worthwhile. And also, my girlfriend tells me I have to go and see the pandas. Oh, right. And get pictures for her. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> She's somewhat obsessed. What's more American than pandas? Exactly. <laughs> I think you should put it on your flag. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So I'm here at the moment uh, with Mr. Steve Kenson, uh, a mastermind designer and man about town, Nicole Lindrus, Green Renin's general manager and bon vivant, 
and uh, Christopher McLaughlin, who is uh, one of our longtime freelancers and confidants, and uh, any award-winning. Oh, that's author. correct. Yes, Christopher McLaughlin. So uh, on uh, the, the Any Awards on Friday night, Chris won his first Emmy for uh, the Time of Vengeance adventure. So uh, how'd that feel, Chris? Uh, Best night of my life since my marriage. I have to throw in that last part, or my wife will officially kill me. <laughs> no, my wife. I would, um, I would say she was um, justified. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, most of the time. Yeah. It would have to be one hell of an award to be better than your marriage. I would say. <laughs> no offense to the Ennies. We love you. But. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, tr- tremendous thrill. I, I, I'm still off the ground about that. No, very great honor. It was a fun night, and Steve, uh, you yourself won uh, quite a few honors that evening. Yeah, it was a great night. Uh, the Ultimate Power Sourcebook for Mutants and Masterminds did uh, quite well at the Ennies, put in a very good showing, I believe. Uh, a record-setting showing. Yes, I'm, so I'm told. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah, well, it, the interesting thing about it is uh, uh, someone was saying to me the next day that they were going to have to get the book and read it to see why it was so great. And I said, well, the interesting thing about Ultimate Power is it's not a great reading book. You know, it's it's a game book to be used. So you wouldn't sit in your bed and say, ooh, elemental control. You know, <laughs> like this writing is so good. I can't you know, wait to see how the next power ends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> How could I amp that up? <laughs> um, well, I think the reason that people liked the book so much is just that it's so damn useful in their games. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't know, maybe we can learn a lesson from that in you know, what was one of the most popular books we've ever done, something that was really, really useful. And uh, I think that's a, probably a good lesson. Absolutely. I mean, I think that in some regards, uh, the uh, any awards and and similar feedback from our fans, you know, tells us the kind of product that they appreciate the most and the kind of thing that they love the most and use the most, mm-hmm. uh, and helps us to to make better product that they're going to really enjoy. Mm. Make more useful books, Kenson. <laughs> well, uh, we debuted three Mutants and Masterminds books here at the show. Um, we had uh, a more perfect union, which was. Uh, Paragon's intro adventure and Paragon's itself, uh, and also Hero High, uh, which is a genre book for uh, teen supers. Um, so uh, I noticed lots of people snapping those up, and uh, the approach to Paragon's I think has intrigued some people. Where you know it's it's a setting, but it's also kind of a toolkit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Paragon's. We wanted to to create a, a framework for a very realistic type of superpowered setting that was um, much more um, postmodern and more um, based in the real world than the very four color and silver age style of Freedom City mm-hmm. to show off the, the real range uh, that Mutants and Masterminds has in terms of different types of superpowered games. But one of the things we wanted to do with Paragons was to really um, open up a range of choice for game masters who were going to take the book and use it to create their own kind of campaign so that they might want to create something with uh, very low-powered characters who only have a particular single paranormal ability, whereas other game masters might want to have some really very, very high-powered paranormals who really have the power to reshape the world on a a tremendous scale. Uh, So we wanted the, the book to accommodate that full range of capabilities. So there are a lot of modular options uh, that people can choose 
what factions and what characters and what aspects of the setting to emphasize in order to, to get that feel that they're looking for. And the genre books we do offer some different options as well for different types of campaigns. Mm. So we had Hero High here. Uh, our first genre book probably was Golden Age. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Chris mm -hmm. McLaughlin wrote that. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about your approach in doing a genre book for Mutants and Masterminds? Well, uh, every great thing that happens with Mutants and Masterminds starts with Steve Kenson. And uh, <laughs> from uh, uh, going from begging and pleading to be allowed to do this book to oh my gosh, what am I actually going to put in it? It was a very, very, very small amount of panic time because Steve gave me a great, great, great outline. And, uh, you know, starting with, let's do a history of the Golden Age comic of comics. And uh, I've, I've gotten a lot of great feedback about my sort of wacky, cranky history of stuff that was happening 60 years ago. And... Um, you know, it was it was a fantastic outline. So you know, make make it clear that if it's good, it's because Kenson made it that way. It's just a question of me getting there and not screwing it up. All right, all right, all right. I have to stop. Listeners need to understand that Mr. Chris McLaughlin, M.E.D., is incredibly <laughs> modest and will always undersell himself. So just you know, not that Mr. Kenson on my left isn't a fabulous designer and developer who gave him a great outline. But please, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's that, that, no, no argument. Grain of salt no here, folks. <laughs> Please continue, Mr. McLaughlin. Uh, oh, but it's 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 always been a, a fa uh, you know uh, of great interest to mine, and it was great to get to uh, to try to take what I've always loved about Golden Age comic books, and you know try to con you, know, you know if you're not already into that genre, you know you know here's what you've been missing. Here's what's wonderful about it. Here's what's special about it. For starters, you get to punch out Nazis. Uh, well, you know, honestly, if, if God forbid, if disaster had befallen us after we published that book, I could still hold my head high and saying, we're the ones who gave you game stats for Hitler. So, <laughs> yep. you know, if you do anything else with Golden Age, you can run a game where you beat the crap out of Hitler. That's right. And as, as we learned at Gen Con, you know, Nazis mean never having to say you're sorry. That's Indeed. true. Because Indeed. You, can, you can fight Nazis all day long. There was a miniatures company that uh, made a line of World War II miniatures, and they decided at one point to... Uh, to start doing personalities from World War II as miniatures. And uh, so they did, you know, generals and things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they did Hitler. And I was like, what do you do with a Hitler miniature? <laughs> Put him on your battle mat? <laughs> I take an attack of opportunity against <laughs> <It's> Hitler. <laughs> he shows up and completely ruins your battle plan at random intervals. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, only if you're playing the Nazis. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, we've got Iron Age coming up, uh, mm -hmm. which is another genre book, and uh, mm -hmm. that's getting into the sort of '80s dark comics, right? The yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. Iron Age is very much in the in the structure and format of Golden Age, but but pretty much it's complete opposite in terms of subject matter. Uh, in that Iron Age looks at the the late '80s through much of the '90s era of comic publishing. Uh, the, the rise of Image Comics and all of the comics that followed in the wake of uh, books like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns uh -huh. um, when um, you know, gritty, dark, um, particularly violent and um, relevant comics were um, all, the, all the rage uh, amongst publishers and uh, John Lighthouser and Seth Johnson who were the authors um, took uh, a similar um, zest um, in tackling the subject matter uh, that Chris did with um, 
um, tackling Golden Age. Um, the zest for vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> One might say. Yeah. And um, they, they have, likewise, they have a great his history of the Iron Age of comics mm -hmm. and talk about the trends in publishing at that time and storylines and characters. Uh, and then basically provide you all the tools you need to, to take those ideas and uh, put them into your Mutants and Masterminds game. Um, and they talk about uh, setting games in uh, that particular era of comics, about the idea of um, doing a modern day game in that style, essentially a, you know, what if the Iron Age of comics had never ended, uh, but simply had continued to the present day. And even, you know, the idea of, of you know, sort of the, the Iron Age retrospective um, of comics uh, like um, Robinson's uh, Golden Age, um, which took a, a somewhat more uh, hard-edged look back uh, at the the Golden mm -hmm. Age of comics and said, "Well, what are the you know sort of gritty, dark secrets going on behind the scenes of this you know seemingly I idyllic, idealistic environment?" Mm. Um, so it's it's really a great resource for anybody who enjoys um, that uh, genre. Um, provides a lot of, as one might expect, more detailed uh, information on combat and violence and mutants and masterminds, uh, particularly uh, damage-dealing weapons of all kinds. Is there an armory in this book? Uh, there is, in fact, an armory in the book, um, and um, they, uh, the authors took uh, both great delight uh, and detail uh, in uh, putting it all together. I th believe there's also a uh, section on Freedom City, correct? Just like the Golden Age book, uh, the, the Iron Age book basically concludes with a Freedom City chapter uh, that looks at that particular era of Freedom City's history when um, superheroes were essentially outlawed um, and therefore the only heroes active in the city were costumed vigilantes who were by definition breaking the law um, by taking uh, matters into their own hands. Uh, and fighting against an increasingly corrupt city government that was dominated by organized crime and secretly influenced by a number of powerful supervillains operating behind the scenes. Um, so it's it all set as a set piece for uh, folks who want an Iron Age uh, setting that they can dive right into um, and get playing right away with, with characters and, and villains and storylines all ready to go. So did you find uh, taking Freedom City, which is very much uh, kind of Silver age in tone generally, and doing an Iron Age section of it to be challenging or uh, did it flow naturally? Not terribly challenging mm -hmm. in the sense that uh, because Freedom City was designed to reflect the, the, the comic books themselves, um, that the Iron Age period of the city's history was already designed into it from the very beginning um, because the history of the city reflects the, the history of comic book publishing. Um, so we already knew that there was this sort of dark period in the city's history and it was really just a matter of bringing that out uh, and, and detailing it um, and discussing how um, to sort of uh, darken up a lot of aspects of Freedom City. Um, and it was really not terribly difficult uh, in the sense that um, the great thing about um, Freedom City was it made such an ironic counterpoint um, that this, this city that was called Freedom City that had you know, such a long superheroic history had fallen into uh, this period of corruption where people had come to take heroes for granted and had um, been misled um, by a corrupt government um, and had um, suddenly found themselves in this, this you know, terrible dark period 
uh, when heroes were, were essentially mistrusted and uh, forced to operate outside the law. So um, it, like the rest of Freedom City, it, it really draws its inspiration uh, from the original comics mm -hmm. uh, and um, it takes it in, a, and in what I think is a pretty interesting direction. So if uh, Freedom City itself represents the sort of continuum of comic history, uh, when do we do the, uh, the Super Pets source book? You know, <laughs> well, as far, as far as the Super Pets go, <laughs> Lucian Solbon has already taken our first step into that territory because he did... How did I know? How did you know? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Because he, in fact, did a section in Hero High, um, which is just jam-packed with uh, all sorts of material on doing um, teen hero games. He did a whole section on uh, what, what he termed SPPs, or super-powered pets, um, because, of course, you know, who, who are the most likely ones to have a super-powered pet except a super-powered kid? Um, <laughs> well, somehow, Grim and Dark Batman had a hound, but mm, there you go. That's true. Who wore Batman a mask so he wouldn't <laughs> be <Yes>. recognized? <laughs> Do you think this would be to be not recognized by other dogs, or humans? Uh, we, uh, oh, are we getting all philosophical now? <laughs> what, was, what was humans? Because the other dogs were recognized him by scent. Uh, Dane. Thank you, Kenson. You know, which is, why, which, is, which is why he also doused himself in that cologne. <laughs> <laughs> but Luce did, did this whole thing on superpowered pets uh, in Hero High, um, including um, the, um, the evil psychic goldfish archetype uh, that he provided uh, for the write-up, but did this whole thing on characters who have super-powered pets, and, you know, if you want to, characters who go around collecting super-powered pets in tiny little balls. Mm. Um, <laughs> not that that resembles anything. No, no. Uh, um, balls are just more convenient, really. Yes, really, just to carry them around you. Um, so we've, we've already got the seeds of that for, for that occasion when we finally you know, mm -hmm. want to do the, the full-blown full super-powered pets source book for Eminem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be what, about year eight? Yeah, Second yeah, they're about, yeah, they're about uh, You're giving away our long-term plan. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> year eight, scraping the bottom of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's when Chris finally gets to do his long-awaited Red Bee adventure. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's written. It's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Call me. Uh, now, uh, later this year, we're doing Worlds of Freedom. Um, and that's a source book that offers uh, different visions of uh, what Freedom City could be. It gives you some different uh, campaign types you might take on with that. Uh, Chris, I believe you contributed to that volume as well. Yeah, quite heavily. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, I did. Would you like to talk about uh, your uh, sections of the book? Well, uh, dealing with parallel, parallel worlds is always great fun for me because that was, I think, one of the first com comic book concepts I always fell in love with. Thus, your famous time of series. Yes, it is. Uh, it is officially a series now. Well, yeah. there are two of them. So. <laughs> right. Well, it, it can't be know. a single, right? You know, and, it's a series. And you know, one of my one of my treasured memories is going up to Julie Schwartz and giving him a, giving him a copy of Time of Crisis and just saying, you know, this I, this is my little parallel parallel world story, and you know, and him saying, ah, fantastic. Give me like his home phone number. He said, call me when you do something else. And unfortunately, he passed away before I got a chance to send him anything else. But you know, knowing you know Julius Ward, you know this dumb kid, like, oh, okay, you're doing parallel worlds, I approve. <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, that's I, cool. Yeah, so it's kind of a follow up on um, 
a lot of the parallel worlds that we introduced in time of crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your players have been through that, uh, we do uh, an expanded version of the world where the Nazis won World War II, giving you sort of a fuller image of just how really, really, really bad off that planet is. But also giving it a way where a small group of superheroes actually has a chance to make a difference. And to me, you know, that's kind of the core of what a good comic book should be. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the individual or in an RPG, a small group being uh, able to make a difference. Um, and uh, that that was that was fun. A little dark, but uh, you know, I, I don't <laughs> know how she would approach that. Subject. <laughs> yeah, there's there's yeah. really no lighthearted approach to the Axis wins World War Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Contrary to what some people might think, uh, you know, but. Uh, Hogan's Heroes, the sequel. Uh, <laughs> there's our year 10 book. Uh-huh. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, wow. After, after <laughs> Super Pets. We yeah. <laughs> get to Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we um, also got to do something that, um, to my knowledge, has not been done on any great scale. Uh, when the design for this book came out, the thing that really jumped out at me and kind of surprised me was Steve's idea to talk about doing Freedom City during the American Revolution and during the American Civil War. Mm. And, uh, you know. Who did he get to talk about the American Civil War? I can't imagine. Uh, well, I understand. We don't know anybody. <laughs> well, I understand the other guy got sick, so I, I wound up getting it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Got sick in air quotes, folks. <laughs> got sick. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, he was seriously shot, with, shot by a musket ball. Mm-hmm. Cops are still looking for the guy. Responsible. Uh, would you like uh, to explain to our listeners why you know a little bit about the Civil War? Uh, I, uh, when I went through my childhood bout of chicken pox at six years old, uh, the only, my, my only companion was a Civil War book. <laughs> and uh, I've had a new one in my life approximately every two weeks since then. And it's actually infiltrated, to, infiltrated my system to the extent where I have to do uh, Civil War reenacting. Or, as, you know, I refer to it LARPing with guns. <laughs> Otherwise you'll suffer from a toxic civil war buildup. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, I've got to get I've got to get some hard tech every now and again or you know, you know, my doctor complains. Yeah, there's really no telethon for that condition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so the revolution was fun. It was an opportunity to pay to pay homage to um, you know, sort of, the, sort of the classic, you know, boys' adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get our musket and fool those redcoats type thing. But um, the idea of uh, the Civil War thing was was kind of virgin territory for me. So I got to do Civil War superheroes. So it's an idea of how to integrate, you know, typical comic book adventures into an era that nobody's really done a whole lot with. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any story I've ever read with uh, supers in the Civil War. Yeah, there's been the occasional Elseworlds story, but mm-hmm. uh, we came up yeah. with uh, two fully functioning teams, one for each side, so you know you can choose which one you consider to be the villains, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, <laughs> tried, to make them, tried to make them true to that era, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm, it, it, I'm hoping it, it, it's, something, it, it's something new, something I hope people will like. And then for the small but extremely vocal people on our message board, we are in fact updating and revising Freedom City twenty five twenty five. Yeah, and so, uh, you know that originally the, appeared in the annual. Yes, and everything has been updated to second edition. We've we've sort of you know hammered the continuity dents out of it from all the wonderful stuff that's come in. And what uh, is it about far future superheroes and continuity problems? <laughs> It's part uh, of the genre, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I, you know, I guess if we're going to be true to it, we have to completely reboot it for next year. You know, uh, that's so. true. That's true. That's what, well, that's what I always tell people who find 
errors in Freedom City's continuity is say, well, we want to bring you an experience as much like the comics mm-hmm. as we possibly can, so we want to give you continuity errors that you can argue over endlessly <laughs> uh, as much as possible. See, see how we work for you. Yes, That's we are indeed. all about the realism. Yes. That's indeed. why next year we're going to collapse all these alternate worlds into one, one. <laughs> and then ten years later we're going to blast them out again. Yes. And uh, the last, the last thing I did was uh, we also did a short update on the cult favorite Earth Ape, our planet of superhero, superheroic monkeys. What? <laughs> yeah, what right thinking person doesn't want a world of apes? <laughs> yes, including our favorite new Earth Ape villain, the sinister Egyptian sorcerer Marmoset. Yeah. Everything's better with a monkey. Uh, <laughs> or bacon. Yes. Scientifically proven, I believe. Oh. Is that all the uh, settings in the book? Or? Uh, no, actually, um, Chris did a, a number of uh, settings in Worlds of Freedom, but the, the book has um, a uh, total of uh, eight uh, pretty meaty setting chapters, each covering a particular setting, uh, as well as a, a sort of grab bag um, chapter of short write-ups of a number of uh, various other settings that were were best just sort of summarized uh, briefly. Um, so, uh, in addition to uh, the the ones that uh, Chris uh, worked on, we also have a, a chapter called uh, "Freedom by Gaslight." Um, that's uh, a, a late 1800s uh, Victorian era um, Freedom City. Uh, that also touches uh, upon the um, Wild West era uh, in America. So you can have a mixture of um, elite, um, sophisticated European heroes and Wild West uh, masked cowboy characters um, <laughs> and consulting detectives and um, or, you know, proto-pulp heroes um, active uh, in Freedom City. I prefer my supers gilded, please. Mm. Well, it's interesting because uh, one of the big <coughs> hits in Europe in that era were those American uh, traveling Wild West shows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all the, very the, popular. Yeah, and the, mm-hmm. the American uh, dime novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are hitting on my Chautauqua experience now. <laughs> now I have something to say. No, say I don't. It. No, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, then we've got a, uh, a future freedom chapter that is um, just a couple of generations uh, ahead of the present uh, in Freedom City, mm. rather than the hundreds of years of uh, Chris's uh, galactic freedom uh, setting, uh, where uh, Freedom City uh, goes through another uh, sort of dark age uh, cycle, um, and you have a, a sort of far a near future cyberpunk-esque uh, style of Freedom City with the, the, the next generation of heroes and you find out uh, some potential future fates for characters in present day Freedom City and what becomes of their descendants and their inheritors. So now uh, do we have as a villain a cyborg Dick Cheney? <laughs> You know, I wish I'd, I no, I could actually have time to rewrite that. Well, you have to bear with Steve. He's new to the cyberpunk genre. So. <laughs> that's true. That's true. My, I, I, if, as long as I'm working on, if I'm working on cyberpunk that doesn't have any elves in it, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm lost. I was say, what do you mean? Steve made his name right in Shadowrun. You know, well, as, as anyone will tell you, that's not that's not cyberpunk. Oh, you know, I see. Because it has you know fantasy things in it and uh-huh. stuff. Bah! I'll um, fight anyone. Come on, anyone! I'll fight you on that. <laughs> I guess everyone's just been fooling themselves for the past 25 years. I guess, I guess. <laughs> and um, 
we uh, have a chapter called uh, Paragons of Freedom um, that basically takes a look at the Freedom City uh, setting as uh, sort of an alternate setting for Paragons about how you can take Freedom City and work it into the basic structural ideas of the Paragon setting uh, by instead of Freedom City having this lengthy superheroic history, uh, Freedom City has, a, a, it becomes the, the epicenter of a present day um, appearance of people with paranormal powers. So it presents uh, different mo modern and postmodern spins on a lot of the Freedom City characters. Uh, how would they be different? Um, much like a lot of the uh, comic book reboots of uh, a lot of their characters where they take the approach of, well, what if this character's origin took place today rather mm -hmm. than in the silver, silver or golden age of comics? And, um, so that be like Ultimate Freedom City? Yeah, what you might call Ultimate Freedom City. Um, and uh, we've also got a uh, chapter from uh, Scott Benny who did uh, Agents of Freedom uh, that uh, expands and fleshes out the Terminus, uh, which is our um, big uh, dimension-devouring threat uh, in the uh, Freedom City Omniverse. Um, and featured in uh, Time of Crisis. Featured in Time of Crisis, as a matter of fact. And um, uh, Scott does a great um, sort of Kirby-esque riff on uh, the Terminus and Omega and all of his uh, various lieutenants um, and anyone uh, who likes uh, a lot of the um, Silver Age, um, Negative Zone, or Jack Kirby's uh, New Gods, Fourth World stuff will will just love uh, Scott's treatment of the Terminus because it's it's a lot of fun um, and really uh, both menacing and wacky all at the same time. Um, and uh, we pretty much just wrap the the whole book up in a uh, a chapter that talks uh, about in general about the the mechanics of dimension travel and um, how to get characters from world to world, uh, as well as a number of um, series frameworks for um, omniversal games of of freedom uh, mutants and masterminds and freedom city games that are focused on dimension travel and characters doing a lot of world hopping whether they're uh, the anointed uh, guardians of time who are supposed to be going around fixing um, different problems in different parallel worlds. Or, that always works. Yeah, because that <laughs> always goes well. Um, or they're, um, the, they're simply time lost uh, and uh, shifting uncontrollably from dimension to dimension trying to find their way back home and encountering all sorts of adventures along the way. Um, so it'll, it'll be a, a book with a little something for everybody. Sounds like it. Uh, speaking of Scott Benny, I noticed here at Gen Con that uh, his uh, campaign setting, Gestalt, uh, had finally come out. I talked to him about that. Yeah. I hadn't seen Scott in person since, um, since the, was it Danny's last year or two years ago that he, he two won? Two years ago, I he think. He won. Yeah. That was the last time I had seen him. Mm -hmm. so. so this is a campaign setting that Scott's been working on for at least ten years. Yeah. yeah. I remember and seeing a draft of it a long yeah. time ago. And we were talking about it yeah. two years ago. And so. has, has been Scott's home campaign for even longer. Mm. Uh, so he's putting out, I believe the version that came out here was for Hero System, mm -hmm. but he's going to be doing uh, an M&M one through the Superlink program. Yeah, that's uh, right. So it'll be available for M&M fans um, a few months, I think. I think they're, yeah, I think they're talking about sometime uh, later this year. Is that Blackworm who are doing that? Yep, that's uh, Blackworm Games, the folks who uh, the, uh, did the Algernon Files and uh, Fires of War for right. M&M Superlink mm -hmm. are the, the publishers for that book. 
Uh, and uh, the timing on uh, Scott's uh, publishing of Gestalt is actually uh, fortuitous because um, a lot of the approach that Scott takes in um, Gestalt um, is very much in harmony uh, with a lot of the ideas in Paragons. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the two of them actually mesh uh, very nicely. Uh, so it would be very easy um, for uh, folks to, to borrow a lot of characters and ideas uh, from either um, setting and use them in the other uh, without uh, too much trouble at all. Um, so I imagine that uh, once the uh, Superlink version of Gestalt uh, hits shelves, that uh, M&M fans will find uh, quite a lot um, that they'll be able to use in, in pretty much any campaign they want. But, um, that will work especially well with uh, uh, with Paragons. Well, that is some good timing. Mm. It was one of those things that I wondered if he was ever going to make it finally happen. And oh, I know. It's great to see that, you know, after all these years, it's uh, it's coming out. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so do you guys want to talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up next year? Maybe? Well, okay, because I, I wanted to ask, while I was at the booth working with uh, with Chris, he mentioned several times his secret project that he was on. Oh yes. And uh, and 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 I wanted to know, like, I realized you were telling the fans about the secret project yes. uh, in only so much detail as to titillate them until it comes out. But maybe you want to, um, you know, spill the beans a little bit here on the podcast. Well, we we spilled the beans at the at the M and M seminar the other day, so I, I feel I can do this without you know fear of bodily harm from. Anyone? We have editing capabilities, sir. Oh, okay. It could come out okay. six months from now. Okay, so I can talk about who really shot Kennedy. That's or, exactly or, right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Yeah, right. please tell us. Oh. The Templars. <laughs> <laughs> the Templars. Uh, my money was on the Freemasons. <laughs> Same thing. Uh. <laughs> oh. All right. Uh. Well, um, the the next big secret book that the that. I guess, except for the ha uh, you know the three dozen people who attended our seminar yesterday, don't know about is we're going to be putting out another villain book for M and M, an oft requested thing because I, you know GMs they need a steady supply of costume goofs for their players to beat the living crap out of, and Absolutely. we're we're, we're going to try to fill that gap with Freedom's Most Wanted, and just speaking, I'm sure Steve will tell you a lot of great things about it, but just from the freelancer's perspective, he invited us to. Look at the existing M&M products. Look at the villains who have maybe a one or two line blurb and saying, take that and run with it. And frankly, I can't wait to get home and hit the word processor and, you know, kind of put my stamp on, on these wonderful seeds that Steve has planted thus far. And there will be some originals in there, too. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, and it, 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 so it seems like a wonderful can't-miss book. I think this might be uh, finally my chance to do my long, uh, long dreamed of villain, Captain Yemen, defender of the oil fields. Because <laughs> <laughs> if there could be Captain America and Captain Britain, why not why Captain not? Yemen? Captain Yemen. <laughs> to all our Yemeni fans. You know, I think yeah. as long as he doesn't... He's kidding. I think as long as he doesn't have like a scimitar uh -huh. and like ride a flying carpet, you know, we'll be okay. I really imagine that he would shoot oil out of his hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And his enemies would all be, you know, oil companies that wanted to harness him and just have him spew an endless amount of oil. Start writing. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, listeners, if you demand it, it shall be done. But, uh, I imagine funny. Captain Yemen will remain slumbering in my <laughs> I think at this point we must demand that Evan put up a poll. Oh. Should Captain, Should Captain Yemen, Captain Yemen live? Yes. 
And, <laughs> Evan, and, make and, it so. And if the fans demand it, we will make Chris write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a more serious note, Steve, what else can you tell us about Freedom's Most Wanted? Well, um, like um, Chris said, uh, Freedom's Most Wanted is going to be a combination of uh, taking uh, a lot of the um, characters that have been only mentioned in passing uh, in some of uh, Freedom City's extensive background material and uh, finally bringing them to the forefront and fleshing them out and providing some detail uh, about who they are uh, as well as uh, a number of new characters. Uh, we asked uh, contributors to the project to submit ideas for new characters that they thought uh, would fit in the, the style of uh, Freedom City and perhaps um, uh, fill in some niches uh, in the setting uh, where we didn't have uh, existing characters. Um, and I've gotten a lot of, of fun uh, proposals uh, and ideas. Um, and uh, also in a, a particular comic publishing trend, a number of uh, writers who want to take um, long retired characters from the, the setting's history uh, who were mentioned as active villains uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and resurrect them in a modern version, uh, either somebody who's, who's adopted that name and motif mm -hmm. or is in some way related uh, to that original character um, to provide sort of a modern continuity um, to those characters in the setting. So I think that'll be a lot of fun uh, and add some, some interesting depth to put those characters right into the setting. We did some, something like that in the original annual, didn't we? We did, actually. We did a whole article on uh, legacy characters uh, and uh, how to play that up uh, in uh, your M&M games. That's right. We, we did some of the World War II heroes. Yeah, America. right. We mm. talked, that's where we, we originally talked about the, the, the um, Allies of Freedom mm -hmm. uh, that showed up in Golden Age again. Mm. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah. What else did you spill in the seminar that I don't know um. about? <laughs> 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 um, the, uh, the other product we talked about um, was that's coming up comes in between uh, Worlds of Freedom and Freedom's Most Wanted, and that's uh, the Book of Magic, uh, which shows up uh, probably the beginning of next year. Um, and that's going to be our big source book on um, comic book style magic uh, in Mutants and Masterminds. Uh, ranging from the um, Golden and Silver Age, Doctor Fate and Doctor Strange type uh, of stuff, um, all the way down to the, the um, street level uh, sort of vertigo magic of uh, Hellblazer and um, some of the other uh, sort of occult mystery type comics. Um, and like the other genre books, it's going to talk about the, the history of those, those comics and the role of magic uh, in the comics and then um, talk extensively about how to expand upon the role of magic and magical powers, magical characters, um, beings, devices, and uh, pretty much all things magical uh, mm -hmm. in your M&M uh, &M, uh, games with finally uh, a Freedom City chapter that looks at the, the magical side of, of Freedom City, um, the, its uh, important characters and its occult community uh, who all the big magical threats are, what's the cosmology of its uh, various mystic dimensions, um, who are the you know, powerful, omnipotent magical beings uh, in the setting. Because what's a you know, comic book sorcerer without you know, alliterative, omnipotent magical beings <laughs> to call upon? <laughs> um, and basically a set of, of series frameworks that will range from how you can do an all-magic-focused um, 
Freedom City series where the characters are all sorcerers or magical beings of one type or another to something that's more mainstream um, and includes more conventional superhero characters and how you can balance uh, the relationship between the two uh, along the lines of stuff like Marvel's um, Silver Age Defenders, which had a combination of a lot of occult and magical characters with the more conventional costumed heroes often mm -hmm. facing off against a combination of occult as well as more traditional, you know, strange alien and costumed supervillain threats. Well, so seems like over the next six, eight months, it's going to be a real smorgasbord of Eminem stuff or whatever genre or uh, approach you want to take. It seems like there'll be a little something for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, uh, anything you want to uh, say to our listeners before we draw this interview to a close? Well, I just wanted to say uh, thanks to all the great Eminem fans who make this job, uh, you know, a, a lot of fun to do. It's been great talking to them, and their their feedback has been invaluable. And you know, the people who take you know thirty seconds to say, "Hey, great job on that book," really keeps uh, a writer going. And a special thank you to all of, all the people who showed up and voted me for the innies and gave me the highlight of my ten years in gaming. That that's more wonderful than I can possibly convey through the internet. Yeah, Eminem uh, fans really came out this year and voted in the Ennies, and uh, we are certainly grateful for that. Yeah, thank you all. Absolutely. Thank you so we're, much. We've, we've always been really grateful for having such a great uh, fan community on uh, Atomic Think Tank. And, yeah. Uh -huh. You know, um, folks have said that they, they have found our, our forums to be some of the most uh, polite, helpful, uh, just information-filled um, around as far as uh, people who are just eager to, to help uh, newcomers to share information about their games uh, and just to, to talk about you know the, what makes the, the game fun for them and we really appreciate that. I absolutely agree. We set the rules early on for the Atomic Think Tank of play nice, pretend your mom's watching, pretend someone you really really like is uh, is around and you're talking to them instead of that guy that you find really annoying and pedantic and and you know fighting with him on principle and just the overwhelming majority of the people who participate on the think tank are are so uh, willing to embrace that idea and, mm -hmm. and follow the rules just those very simple rules that yeah absolutely I'm so grateful Although I do want to say that our volunteer moderators uh, on the think tank do a great job of helping to maintain that environment. Absolutely. And, and they, they don't get nearly enough credit. So thanks a lot, guys. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, you guys do a great job. Um, Shout out. Yeah. Go Kit, Brett Bow, Farrick. Am I forgetting anybody? I think that's everybody. All right. Good job, guys. Uh, well, as it is uh, getting close to 11 o'clock here on Sunday night, and it's not that late for most folks, but after four days working the floor at Gen Con, we're all pretty tired. <laughs> so uh, I think we're going to wrap this up now. Uh, thanks to everyone who came onto the show. And uh, we will see you next time.
This podcast is copyright 2007, Greenland Publishing, music by Bombscare, courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. 